University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Take a second and think about what is the earliest memory you can remember from your childhood? I remember fishing with my granddaddy uh, and him trying to teach me how to skip rocks across the pond. Uh, recently, ESPN featured the World uh, Rock Skipping Championships. These competitors easily are, are passing 40 skips across the water. Got me thinking, how do you enter such a contest? Like, what are, what are the prerequisites to get into this thing? You know, what's so fascinating about water is how it moves. If, if you were to drop a rock on one side of the lake, a tiny splash gradually furthers and it gets further and wider, eventually causing a shift in the water on the opposite side of the lake. Even the tiniest drop of a rock in the water can begin a tiny ripple that can have a, a big outcome. We're, we're in our series, Little Big Things, how shared spirit-led commitments drive oversized results. And we're looking at, more often than not, the difference between thriving and floundering in a church is whether or not we can commit to do the small things that make an incredible difference. Last week, we looked at the importance of formation, each of us individually and collectively as a group. And we're examining the book of Acts, who hosts this overarching theme throughout the book in which it states again and again that the church grew in numbers. And for this, we take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. Luke writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Holy togetherness, Batman. This almost seems unreal. Luke, the author of Acts, must have exaggerated what was happening in the early church because there is no way that that many people from that many different walks of life with that many differences could have such a sense of togetherness. From the pronouns, they only state they, everyone, them, all these, these emphatic statements, all the believers were together and had everything in common. We are hit square in between the eyes with a sense of unity among the early church. They were worshiping and learning about the way of Jesus. They were breaking bread and sharing meals. Together, they supported each other in their lives and in their work, and they responded to the needs of the community. Together, they were being transformed by the radiant love and grace of God. Let's play a little word association game. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to shout out to me the words you associate with it, okay? LSU. Tigers. Hope somebody was going to say winning, but not right now. Too soon? Okay. 
New Orleans Saints. Astrophysics. <laughs> Not as many comments back to that one. They're like, uh, hold on. Okay, what about this one? Church. The Bible, the Lord's table, cross, pews, stained glass windows. But what's missing? There's a missing element in all this word association. From far too many, the word association missioning vocabulary in the church is fellowship, community, relationships. But the question is why? Author Corey Benjamin writes, Western individualistic culture invites us to embrace our independence and champion our ability to do this all on our own. But the life of Jesus invites us to embrace a healthy interdependence on others. The radical message of Jesus invites us to express and wrestle with our faith and the lifestyle of an unbroken community with others. As culture has morphed deeper and deeper into strictly individualistically oriented culture, we now find ourselves in a world in which it is not uncommon to not even know the names of your neighbors What's even scarier is we might not even know the names of the person sitting in the pew next to us. I believe the main reason we don't see the church as a fellowship first, as a community, as a closely connected set of relationships, is that we have been trained that the church is a passive commodity. If we look back at the last 50 years of the church, denominational leaders and visionaries began to shape the church to reflect the shopping and time habits of its members and consumers. They packed the church with programs for all ages and worship experience in one hour where we can come and receive and then go do the rest of our lives in peace knowing that we've checked that box off the list. We were taught that while we passively experience worship and send our kids to the best program, that we participate by tipping the church in this thing called a tithe. So there's an equal exchange for money and goods and services. But this was not our doing. You and I are the inheritors of this great thinking about the church as a passive commodity. But we were built for relationships. And I know that doesn't sound as poetic as John Donne puts it when he says, no man is an island unto himself, but it captures the same truth. God wired us to live in community with others. If you look at the opening chapters of Genesis, an incredible picture of God's creative power is revealed. And at the end of each set of creations, it says that God saw it was good. The only thing God observed that was not good was man living alone. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to live alone. I will make a helper corresponding with him. We were created to live in relationships. And as we are made in the image of God, we see the perfect relationship existing with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the ultimate relationship we are called to is a personal relationship with Christ. But when it comes to Christ... Christ also has the body of Christ, what we call the church. We walk alongside Christ. We don't walk alone. We walk alongside others. Community, living an interconnected relationship of believers is a central part of what it means to follow Jesus. But we can see from our passage in Acts chapter 2, a theme repeats throughout the many letters of the New Testament. This was not 
what it means to be the church. The church isn't some club or nonprofit where we hold a card of membership. What we see is the church is this random gathering of people. The church is an intentional community. It's a community of people who are set around a common purpose. The church is this ancient future Ground, uh, grounded in emerging community existing for the formation of Jesus' followers and collaborative partnership of renewing God's world. We form community because of Jesus. We are an intentional community centered on the transforming power of, of God's love in our lives and in the world. And we gather together, it's not because we are one political party or another political party or because of these labels that we give ourselves of conservative or liberal. It's not because we are a particular race or two. It's not because we have a shared economic status. It's not because we have the exact same views on every single issue. We gather because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we gather from a diverse set of backgrounds and perspectives and nationalities and experiences. Jesus brings us together. Let me tell you about this really cool place that I don't know if anyone in this space has ever been to before. I think we have an image of it. Let's see if we can put it up. Okay, so this is something called Tiger Stadium. Uh, It's home to the Louisiana State University football team, the Tigers. And for over six Saturdays in the fall, 107,000 plus people converge in one square mile dressed in purple and gold. Now, only 107,000 people can enter in the stadium, but the 25,000 to 50,000 people are okay with not doing that and just enjoying watching the game from their mobile home TV. For nearly three hours, fans scream their brains out, spelling tigers each time the team scores and booing the other players from the opposing team. Together, the LSU fans are united in their pure hatred for said opponent and their love for their team. But when those 107,000 people leave the stadium, sometimes in victory, other times in defeat, they leave as individuals, going back to their lives and their jobs and their classrooms and their homes. They don't know each other beyond this thing called LSU football. And I think sometimes that's what we think the church is for. A gathering place for one or two hours on our weekly lives only to return back to our own individual experience of work and school and family and home. But that's not the idea of what the church is supposed to be that we get from our scripture passage this morning. The church was, in fact, a vibrant, intentional, Jesus-centric community that lived life well together. And as we look back at the church in Acts, we see that they were not some part-time thing done on Sunday mornings or occasionally at other times throughout the week. Luke paints the image that they devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching, to fellowship, to supporting each other's businesses, to sharing meals together, to praying with one another, to responding to the growing needs that happened around them, to celebrating the good times and mourning together in the bad times. And again, this was not an individual practice or a practice of just some. Instead, we see the commitment from all the members to this intentional community. 
And I think what we can learn from the early church was that genuine community was essential in their lives, and they wanted to live life well together. And I think this is the greatest issue that the church faces today. And the pandemic has only heightened it as as it created isolation within our lives in which we can't physically be present with one another. The church is more than just something we do one hour a week. This means in order to achieve this, we have to interweave our lives together in friendships and partnerships. Our kids play with each other. We share meals together. We help each other with projects around our homes. We celebrate new life and other achievements. We wrap a warm arm of compassion around each other when there's sickness and loss and death. We lift each other up. We encourage each other. We sharpen each other. We challenge each other to become more. We, we cultivate ways to support each other, establishing transformative friendships and mentorships. Next month makes officially three and a half years since we've been in Baton Rouge. We moved our family nearly 1,000 miles to live in a new place among strangers. And it's a really awkward process to pack up your entire lives into a moving truck, entrusting it to strangers to take care of it, and then asking them to deliver it when they're supposed to. (laughs) When the moving truck arrived at our home on on June the 5th, we were told uh, by some of the members of the pastor search team that they had enlisted a few volunteers to help unpack the truck, and we were happy to get any kind of help that people would give. But what we didn't anticipate was that so many people would show up, literally unpacking the entire moving trailer before the actual professional movers we hired showed up. You see, within a few hours, not only was the entire truck unpacked, but almost everything was settled into place inside our homes. Clothes were hung up in the closet. Dishes were arranged in the cabinets. Washers and dryers were connected. Even the trampoline was set up in the backyard. I learned from day one in Baton Rouge that University Baptist Church is a faith community that understands what authentic relationships can look like. And you know, for many, when we hear stories like this, we are inspired. But often, we don't settle into authentic relationships in the church out of a fear of conflict. Whether it's because our lives are messy or because we've experienced the bare fisted brunt of church drama, we often could put up barriers from truly building relationships with others because we know that conflict is inevitable. Look, for all the beauty we see of the togetherness of Acts chapter 2, just turn ahead two chapters and we discover tension and disagreement and challenging conflict. The problem with the church is it's made up of people. And the problem with people is that we are people filled with all different ways of seeing the world and handling our emotions and thinking about the right way of doing things. And anytime you get a diverse group of people from different walks of life and different experiences and different sets of beliefs and different identities and different emotional and cognitive impulses, there's going to be conflict. But this is why so many people avoid the church and and others strive to control the church. When people gather together, there's no shortage of opinions and truths. A a group tries to force their views on others while another group just wants to walk away. Did you know that we would not have nearly one-third of the New Testament if conflict wasn't inevitable in the church? 
Do you think we would have the remarkable encouragement of Philippians if Paul didn't see the issues needing correcting in that church? Do you think we wouldn't have the inclusive theology of Galatians if people from different walks of life hadn't come together because of Jesus? Do you think we wouldn't have the likes of James calling to dismantle social barriers for the sake of Jesus if it wasn't for people who came together and didn't understand one another at a common table? I get it. Conflict is frustrating. It's, it's hurtful. And the church, well, it's been happening for a long history of some pretty dumb disagreements. In my nearly 25 years of vocational ministry, I have heard people scream until they are red in the face about why they think the, the new carpet in the hallway should be a different color. I witnessed a deacon using vulgar insults towards a teenager because they brought food into the sanctuary. I've sat through more contentious meetings about stuff that will just make you scratch your head than I can even begin to report to you. Of course, not here at University Baptist Church. But conflict, when handled in a healthy way, is the beginning of becoming better. I love how Paul addresses one conflict in the church in Colossians when he writes this, Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, in facing this new world and their newfound journey with Jesus, these Christians in Colossae face the challenges of becoming someone new. Imagine a drastic change in your cultural patterns, your philosophy, your everyday living. To this great journey of redemption and transformation, Paul writes these encouraging words. And they were not an existing community that simply came to know Jesus together. Instead, they were a community of individuals that were forming together. All the while they were trying to figure out what this new journey looked like with all the new thoughts and emotions and actions that accompany it. To this, Paul says, it's going to take the calling of God placed on your life to be the person God called you to be. To, to lift this new person in your tribe and your family, to be the person that God has called them to be, and to live out the mission and vision of God every single day. For this, Paul says, you have got to have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and grace and forgiveness and peace and above all else, love. We know that most virtues are not worth their weight unless given the opportunity to cultivate them or to put them to the test. As one author put it, if the church isn't hard, then that's a sign you probably haven't entered deep enough into community with others. Because God's deepest work is with us, is to teach us how to love. And love doesn't mean much until it is tested by someone who is cranky, narrow-minded, bigoted, critical, and harsh. Genuine relationships in the church do not take place like they do online where we can simply unfriend or unfollow or ignore someone or walk away. That's not what genuine relationships look like. Genuine relationships take time to mature and engaging in conversation and expressing thoughts and listening well to others and coming to a place of reconciliation. 
genuine relationship to the church. Help us learn to love as God loves us and gives us the opportunity to practice forgiveness and extend grace, but also contrition and repentance and confession. Genuine relationships are difficult and take time forming into something that leads us to thriving. The great comedian Jim Gaffigan said that growing up, he couldn't ever figure out why his dad was always miserable on vacation until he grew up and had a family of his own. (laughs) He said, how can I spend an enormous amount of money, travel great distances, be uncomfortable, and listen to my children complain? We were vacationing recently and tried to take uh, family pictures. And um, let me just show you these three pictures and why I got frustrated every single time we had to take a retake. See, the comic relief at the center of each picture is my youngest daughter, Aubriana. And after the third time of trying to take a picture and getting this result, I, I finally started fussing at her, as parents do from time to time, about how if she could just stand still and smile, then we could be done with this and move on. And in her seven-year-old, going-on, 60-year-old wisdom, she looks at me and says, but Daddy, we're supposed to be having fun. You see, somewhere along the way, I think the church forgot that we're supposed to be having fun together. I think somewhere along the way, the institutionalization of the church, we forgot that to live life well together means that we also have fun together. And don't get me wrong, the work of the kingdom is serious business. But shouldn't the work of living out the kingdom together be fun in the process? There was a a recent study that found that the health of a family is directly correlated to whether or not it plays together. I found the same virtue to be true with churches. Churches that play together thrive. When is the last time that past the churchy stuff, the worship and the spiritual formation, that we committed to sharing a meal, playing a game, or or just being together for the sake of being together with other church members? When's the last time you called someone up from the church or gathered with a group of people together to do something fun outside what was already organized for you with the church program or an event? What would it look like if you began to invest in the people, beginning with the people your age and your sphere of influence here at UBC, whether through a spiritual formation or Sunday school class or a connect group or an age-based ministry? What would it look like if you invested that, that two hours every couple of months into one of our church-wide gatherings, knowing that these events are intentional opportunities to develop meaningful and strong and intergenerational relationships. But it goes beyond just our scheduled events and programs such as things like the Barnabas Project and into our willingness to care deeply about the people around us, what's happening in their lives, and being vulnerable enough to do the same with our life. And if we can do this little thing called relationships, it's quite remarkable how we can build mutual respect and trust for one another, better understand and communicate with one another, 
led by the Spirit of God into unity and openness into the new and exciting possibilities that God has in store for University Baptist Church. If the early church grew rapidly as a result of investing in relationships, imagine what could happen for us right now. Let's enter into a time of reflection this morning.